I pulled a book off of my side table this week. And within that book are a number of books, <clears throat> as well as letters. And I began to read one, and this book was only three chapters long. And as I read it, I realized how relevant it is to our day. And it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, Violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and therefore perverse judgment proceeds. You would think that was out of today's newspaper. written about 2,700 years ago. And that was the cry and the burden of the prophet. And if you fast forward 700 years, there was another one that was following his master. And one day, as he was following and listening, he heard the following words and he wrote it down in a book. And because he couldn't think of a better title for it, he wrote his own name. Why is life becoming so difficult? Does anyone have a solution? Is there anything we can do about it? This man was a tax collector not very well respected within the community because he would always overcharge and pocket the extra. And yet one day, his life was changed when Jesus passed by. Jesus called him to be a disciple. And one day, he heard his master say, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the one that spoke those words didn't say, I don't have a burden. He says, my burden is light. It wasn't that he didn't labor, because he did. And he's painting a picture for his audience that day, the picture of those oxen in the field and yoked together. And you can get the picture 
And as I read this, I began to think, this is an odd thing to say. Take my yoke. If you're yoked with another animal, somebody has to put the yoke on you. But he says, you take my yoke upon you. Which also indicates he had a yoke on him. He was laboring in the fields. He knew what labor was. He knew what a burden was. But then if you think of it, and you see those two oxen yoked together, and Jesus is saying, here, take my yoke, that means that somebody else has to be behind the scenes. And that somebody was his father, and he had the reins. And Jesus says, I don't speak or say anything apart from what my father tells me. And here he is on this earth as a man. And God is directing his path. And he's inviting us to go along with him. Knowing full well that the burdens are great. And the labor is hard. Matthew is the only one that records this. Matthew would have had front row seats to the Jews of his day having to pay the taxes and he was the collector and he was taking more than what they owed so that he could line his own pockets. And he could see these people coming, laborers. They were working hard all day and they were having to give up a portion of what they've been earning and it's not fair. And exactly the same thing is happening in the day in which we live. I go back to the time in the early 70s, before the recession of the early 70s, and we could go to work, we could goof off, we could have fun, we could play tricks on people, until that hit, and then suddenly, everything was the almighty dollar, and everything was paid by the hour, and the joy went out of our labor. And now we fast forward to today, and a great majority of the population are having to work their regular hours for their regular pay, and they're having to work longer without pay. And Jesus knows all about it. All you who labor and are burdened, come to me, and I will give you rest. Do you have an option? Do any of us have an option? We still have to go to work. But Jesus is telling us something different. If you are yoked with me, things are going to be different. And if you now take on his yoke, and you're part of that team, And the farmer takes that team out into the field. If we were on our own, I know from experience, our path would be going like this down the field. Right? Every turn. Oh, this happened. Oh, I better go this way. Oh, I'm off in this direction. 
and life is confusing. But not if you're teamed up with Christ. That older, experienced oxen knows that when the driver is there and he sets his course, it's as if he says, do you see that tree up there? That's where you're heading. Just keep your eye on that. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Keep your eye focused on the goal. This life is going to be over. Keep focused. And Jesus promised, I'm coming back. Keep focused. He's coming back. In the meantime, we must take on his yoke. Otherwise, I'm going down the field like this. But I have a clear cut in the ground. The furrows are clear. They're straight. Because if I was doing it by myself, I'm all off track. And this is where every one of us find ourselves from time to time. We veer off this direction. We veer off that direction, which kind of reminds me. Maybe I shouldn't say this. It popped into my mind. I'm not a very good golfer. But when I did go golfing, I got a lot of exercise. (laughs) Because when I would hit, I never knew where it was going. Oh, it's over here this time, and then it's over there that time. You know, that's how we tend to live life. And we just aim for something and uh, hope hope it hits. But not here. Jesus is saying, come. But what we're going to learn is he's got a different spirit than we do. He says, I'm gentle. I'm lowly of heart. Some of us can be hot-headed. Speaking for myself, I don't take fools gladly. And in the past, some people would get ripped up one side and down the other. But that doesn't work. Our lives are different. And the reason they're different is because we're yoked with the Savior. And he says, I'm gentle. I'm lowly. And if you want to act like that, you're never going to have rest until you learn to be gentle and lowly. And you can learn it from me. What a better master to have than to learn from Jesus. So this message is for believers as well as unbelievers. Are you burdened with your sins and needing God's forgiveness? I say to you today that if you take on the yoke of Jesus, you come to him as he has called you to, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You take that yoke upon yourself and you answer the call. You will find that the first place he takes you is the place where he made it possible for you to be able to be yoked to him, which is his cross. He will take you to have a look at the cross because he was the one that knew your condition. He knows what you're like and he knows that you're a sinner and he came in order to save you and to pay the penalty for your sins. If you're an unbeliever, 
Yoke yourself to Jesus Christ. And the first port of call is the cross. And as you look at that and you see that he suffered and died for you, how could you refuse such a salvation? How could you refuse? He's given us all. And he's inviting you to come, believe, and receive him. But there's also another group of people, and we're all familiar with this, some more than others. And we've attended churches, and we've tried to do our best. We've put on our suit and ties. We've put on our hats. And we've tried to keep all the rules, only to find out it doesn't work. We've tried our best. We've heard the messages, and sometimes they've been incomplete, and we're confused. We don't know what salvation is all about. In fact, how can I even know that I'm saved? Impossible. And Jesus says, come. Be yoked with me. He has fulfilled all the rules on your behalf. And it's not an outward thing. It's inside. We put so much emphasis on the outside. God looks on the heart. And he comes in and he changes his heart. And all the rules drop by the wayside because, oh, it's so wonderful. I've been saved by grace through faith. His grace is sufficient for all my needs. Today, there are a number of people that I speak to that are burdened by the evil that's going on in the world today. And the majority of the questions that are arising is why? Why is it like this? We didn't grow up in a world like this. Everything is changing. Why? And we try to stumble along on our own and try and figure out the way And we don't come up with a solution. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are burdened, put your burdens on me. That's that's a weight that you can't carry. It's too heavy. You're not built for it. Give it to me. I will give you rest. And then we're so overcome by the trials of life. As I said, those in the working field today are under such pressure. I can't imagine what it's like. When I was in business, I made sure that everyone that worked for me got, in those days, union wages. We weren't a union plant, but I made sure they got that. Gave them as many benefits as possible. But today, it's all about the almighty dollar and how much we can get out of those that are working for us. Time is, time is very difficult. As I was searching for this, I think this is probably where Jesus got what he said. It was derived from Jeremiah chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, 
stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. We've lost the old ways, the old paths, the old preaching, the old invitation to come to salvation. But here was what they've answered. But they said, we will not walk in it. So he sent watchmen over them saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. That They said, we will not listen. And this is the general feeling in the world today. God's invitation is going out, and yet there's a refusal. They're looking for rest, and they can't find rest, but they refuse the only place where rest is found, in Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 18, he writes, because my people have forgotten me. Whose people? The unbeliever? No. My people have forgotten me. It's heartbreaking to see and hear things that have been going on in mainline churches where they have turned away from God. My people have forgotten me. They've burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths and not on a highway. So what are those ancient paths that give rest to our souls? I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that most people here would know. They'd have an answer to that. What are the ancient paths? The ancient paths are those that God has laid down before time, which in which he had designed the way of salvation for mankind that were sinners to come to Jesus. And he gave his one and only begotten son that he might die so that we might be able to come and we might find rest. In the beginning of Acts, it says Peter and John spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Oh, that that message might continue to go out. There's been so much departure and so much apostasy has come into the church at large that we must maintain the gospel. Without it, we're doomed. And everyone around us has no hope. May God give us the grace to continue and may he keep the doors open so that it can spread. If the doors close, God will find a way and he will continue to use us because God's heart is not that any should perish. He will go to the uttermost to save souls. And they laid their hands on Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I was mentioning to Albert, and I have a few times, he's getting tired of me talking about the same thing. But we had the healing of the man at the beautiful gate, 
And there was such a disturbance by the authorities that the disciples would do such a thing and that this man would be healed. And in our lingo today, it ends up in court. They were so upset. But here we have, this is what happened at the end of that whole thing. We've got the court case. And lo and behold, 5,000 were saved by one healing. Imagine if God begins to move among us. He's done it before. He can do it again. He can bring in healing. He can raise the dead. That takes me back in time. I was out for a walk one day, and I would assume it's 20-plus years ago. And I'd walked and walked and walked, and this is what I do is just unload to God and tell him all my problems. Sometimes telling him I'm not too pleased with them. But anyway, on the way back, it suddenly hit me. I said, God, I'm sorry. I put you in a box. And you can't work outside of my paradigm and what I think needs to be happening and areas in which we can minister, etc. I'm, I'm sorry, God. And before I could blink my eyes, I know this as if it was a voice inside me said, okay, how about raising the dead? And I thought, oh, please use somebody else. But what may God do in the days in which we're living? It may be something well beyond what we've even anticipated. Because again, God is not willing that any should perish. And he's going to every length. And he will use whoever he will to reach mankind with the gospel message. But here we had one healing, 5,000 are saved. 5,000, Albert. We rejoice when there's one. And why shouldn't we? There's rejoicing in heaven over one repenting sinner. The grace of God. It's truly amazing. I mean, we can't, right? You've tried. God intervenes in the situation. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? You think they didn't know? Obviously they knew, and they weren't happy about it. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, I love this. Here's Peter, the one who had denied the Lord. He was groveling in the mud. And the Lord didn't leave him there. And he says, Peter, when you're restored, confirm your brethren. And Peter stands up in the beginning of Acts, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. And he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to the helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
wasn't long ago they were in the upper room with the doors were all locked for fear of the Jews. Peter stands up on the podium and he says, You crucified him whom God raised from the dead. In him this man stands here before you whole. God can change lives. He's the only one that can change lives. The law could never change the life. All the law can do is condemn. Jesus comes on the scene and changes lives. God raised him from the dead. There's the gospel message. He's alive. Have you experienced the fact that he's alive? Is he living in your life? Have you experienced the working of God around you? I tell you, my mind has been blown with what I've witnessed down here in Norwich. And there's a number of people back in Woodstock. I've got a neighbor down my hall. She's 90 years old. Her husband passed away a day before my wife. Her birthday's the day before mine, just a little few years in between. I can tell you, she'll be calling me tomorrow morning. Dave, what's happening in Norwich? She's so thrilled to hear what's going on. The reason it's going on is because the gospel message has been going on. Where most churches are closed at night, Sims kept it open, and we need a gospel message, and it's changing lives. And I believe there's going to be more lives that are changed. God is at work. And I've witnessed God doing things that I could never have imagined doing. It's blown my mind. And then Luke carries on. He says, this is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I was at a, another Baptist church a number of years ago. And uh, one of the members, and there weren't many in the church, maybe 20 people. One of the members of the church, after we'd been there a couple of months, asked me if I would take a Bible study. And I said, why? Why me? She says, well, the pastor, I've asked him for two years. He won't do a Bible study. Oh, wow. So I did. And before I started the first one, one of the members of the church came to me and told me what she believed. Basically, everybody's saved, everybody's going to heaven. I said, oh, okay, that's what you believe. Well, we'll just wait and see what the scriptures say. We went for two or three months doing this study. And this was the last evening that we were having this. And she had been bottling up this in, in her all this time, and she suddenly exploded at the end. She accused me of all kinds of things, of saying things, and everybody sitting around that table are thinking, where is this coming from? Dave never even mentioned that. And I knew what the problem was. This is too exclusive. She was sitting right beside me when she blew up. And I turned to her, called her by name. I said, what are you going to do with what Peter said? 
There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. What are you going to do with that? And she began to shake and shake and shake. And she wasn't able to say a word. There's power in the name of Jesus. Some, at least one here, has experienced the power of the name of Jesus this week. And I've been made aware of it. There is power. There is a real evil force that's arrayed against us. But when we stand on the name of Jesus, he has to flee. So here's my challenge. And I've given it before, but I'm going to read it. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they're already white for harvest. That's what I say. The fields are white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and the gatherers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And then he goes on to say, supplicate the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the harvest and the workers are few. I challenge you, get before the Lord and see where you fit in. Everybody's not out in front. Everybody's not on the front lines. But you fit in somewhere. You may be at home praying for those that are on the front lines. But I guarantee you, there are those on the front lines and they're dealing with the battle from day to day. Sim was dealing with the battle from day to day and got worn right down. We need to step up to the plate. God has given each of us something to do if you belong to the body of Christ. And let's pool the resources Let's be praying. Let's do whatever we can to contribute to the spread of the gospel message. God's promise to those who are involved in restoring the ancient paths. This scripture takes me back in time. I had been invited to go to a second or third or fourth cousin's parents' 65th anniversary. His parents, I believe, were my dad's, uh, my dad's cousin, first cousin. And we had planned to go down east to visit our daughter and son-in-law. But this is up in Timmins, so that's a long way up there too. And then drive down east as well. And I said, Jack, I thank you for the invitation, but we've already committed to going down to New Brunswick. I got off the phone. And because I've read scripture, this came to my mind. I didn't know where it was. I had to look it up. And it was indicating to me that I needed to go. So I emailed back. And he had a computer upstairs. His wife was downstairs. She got the, the email first. And she called on her husband and said, Jack, come down here. And he came down. He stood behind her, totally silent. She says, I wondered what happened to him. She says, I turned around and he had tears rolling down his cheeks. 
You see, I had to go back because that's where my grandfather had been. And he had left almost, in a sense, unannounced and moved down to southern Ontario. And he had been working with young people and he was the one that they looked up to and he left them high and dry. And I went back and apologized on behalf of my grandfather. He had been long past. And this was the verse here. It was the whole chapter. But this was the part that really struck me. Those from among you, from among us, shall build the old waste places. That means that they had already been destroyed. Those ancient paths no longer existed. But there's going to be those from among you who are going to rebuild those ancient paths. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And this is where we're at today. Many of the ancient paths have been deserted and in disrepair. But the job to repair the breaches And to restore those ancient paths is hard work. Why is life becoming so difficult? We all, I would believe, would think the same. Jesus has been gradually, and I say gradually, because it is gradually, programmed out of society. Jesus has been removed from schools Over years, I'm saying 50 years, it's been a gradual process. And we're looking around, what happened? Why is things the way they are? Because without Christ, life is difficult. You and I are blessed if we have him as our savior to help us through these difficult times. We can all be involved in restoring the ancient paths. However, it is hard work. It really is hard work when you begin to talk to people that have been so brain dead for so long. It's hard to get through. If this work becomes laborious and a burden for us, then we're doing it in our own strength. Let us not proceed in our own strength. We must be reliant on Jesus Christ. He says, take my burden upon you. Everyone who has labor and burden, come to me for rest. Rely on the Holy Spirit, my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. Oh, that we might be gentle and lowly in heart like the Savior. That will win more souls than anything else. If they can't see Jesus in us, Where are they going to see him? And if that's the case, for Jesus to be seen in me, I must spend time with him. There's an old hymn that had come to mind that I want to read you. I don't think any of you would have heard it before. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, open wide stands mercy's door. Jesus, ready, waits to save you, full of pity, love, and power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. 
Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dreamed. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. And the call is still going out today. Thank the Lord. Albert's uncle wouldn't have been saved. 